Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Psalm 46, a very appropriate passage for us to consider, even based upon what we just prayed for. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name is Jordan Coughlin. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant. Normally, I'm up here leading our singing, uh, but today I have the privilege to to preach, and I'm, I'm glad to be doing that. Do want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, my family and I just got back from Louisville, Kentucky last night. Uh, I'm one of six kids. All of us are married. We all have kids, and we all descend onto my parents' house, and uh, it is 19-plus grandkids. I've lost count. Um, it's not a restful time, but it is a memorable time, and uh, we, had, we had a great time. Um, I do want to uh, encourage you, like Jackson did, to pick up an Advent devotional. Um, so unfortunately, we're all sold out. So if you have not gotten a physical copy, I do encourage you to utilize the, the PDF form of it. Um, Advent is a, is a unique season for, for Christians. And if you've not grown up in the church, maybe Advent is this foreign concept to you. It, it's, it's simply, um, Advent means coming or, or arrival. And like Jackson said, the the Advent season is an opportunity for Christians to step into the story of the Israelites, where they waited for their promised Messiah. Now, Advent is a season of tension. It's tension. And and that's true of us as well, right? Because we, we know the end of the story, right? We're We may feign that we don't know what's going to happen, but Christmas Day is going to come, and lo and behold, Jesus has come to the earth. And and so we get to celebrate, and and there's so much joy in the Christmas season, right? There's so much happiness, so many things to be thankful for. But Advent is a season of tension because we still face sadness, pain, difficulty, we are still waiting for the Lord to make all things right. You, you may have experienced this in the past few days, right? We are celebrating Thanksgiving. We are grateful for so many things. And yet, for some of us, there was a missing person at the dinner table. For some of us, we realize that our life does not look like it we thought it would. For some of us, Maybe relationships are are strained. We live, friends, in a world of trouble. You may try to avoid it, but trouble will come to your life. I hate to break it to you, but it's true. And so for Christians, we have to answer the question, what do we do? When trouble comes, what do we, what do, we do when we experience sadness and, and difficulty in our lives? Well, Psalm 46 is a place we can go. And so let's read this passage together. This is what the word of God says. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, 
Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Fathers, we sit under the authority of your word. I pray that your spirit would speak. Lord, we know and believe that contained in your scriptures, your holy word to us is, is life, is truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, in this moment, quiet our distractions, God, Help us to listen to you and what you have told us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for centuries, Psalms like Psalm 46 have provided a strong, bracing truth for Christians who are experiencing troubled times. It was this Psalm, Psalm 46, that inspired Martin Luther to pen these words, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Psalm 46 is a triumphant and declarative psalm for those who are, in un, uh, who are unsettled by the troubles of this world. Now, I'm not going to assume that everyone here is struggling or suffering, but I guarantee you that you will suffer in your life. I guarantee it. Trouble will come like we talked about. In, in 2004, my wife and I, Tally, got married and we've been married for almost 20 years. Now on that day, we were full of joy and expectation. We were filled with dreams and hopes for what we hoped our life would look like. And many of those things have come true. It, is, it has been a joy-filled life. We've also had trials. We've also walked through significant things that we were not anticipating. One of our sons has battled leukemia twice. Tally lost her mom unexpectedly last year. We've walked through church hurt and church division, and we've been slandered by people online. We've faced financial instability. We've suffered. We've experienced trouble. Now, you have your own list 
You may think about loved ones that have been lost. You may think about sickness. You may think about jobs lost. You may just be an Auburn fan right now. I'm so, I'm so sorry. My point is this. Every Christian will suffer. And what Christians need is a theology of suffering. We need to understand it and we need to know how to respond to it. So whether you're suffering right now and these are like a life raft to you who feel like you're drowning or whether this is preparation, this is important. We're gonna look at the Psalm broken up into three parts or scenes. If you're taking notes, here are the three. God's protection in the storm, God's presence in his city, and God's purpose in the earth. So first, God's protection in the storm. Let's look at verse one together. It says, it declares, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We really could begin and end on this verse alone. Out of the gate, the psalm proclaims to us a loud truth. God is our refuge and our strength. Now we can fill in that God is X in a lot of different ways when we're suffering. God is distant. God is indifferent. God is punishing me. God is weak. God is gone. But the psalmist declares something different. God is our refuge and our strength. He is both our place of safety that we can go to and our sustenance. He both protects us and he gives us the inward resolve to continue on. He's our very present help in time of trouble. And let's consider each one of these words. He's not just present. He is very present. The, the Hebrew word is emphatic. It's in a high degree. It's with, without qualification. He, he's not like your friend who is with you, but not really. You know the friend. They're on their phone, they're kind of looking down, kind of listening to you, and every once in a while, they'll, they'll kind of engage. They're like, what, wait, what were you saying? God is not like that. He, he, is, he is very present. He is attentive to what is happening in your life. He's completely, totally present. He's not far off and distant. He has not forgotten you in your darkest moments. God actually tells us in his word that it's in those moments when you feel lost and you feel alone that God says he's actually most with you. Psalm 23 communicates the same thing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. He is very present to help in time of trouble. He is not a sympathetic bystander. He's not with you, but unable to provide aid. His presence is effective. It's personal and it's powerful. 
God is there present to help, to lend aid to you. Let the force of these words imprint themselves on your hearts and your minds this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, this reality has a transformational effect on a life plagued by storms, but not just any storms, significant storms. Look down at the language that the psalmist uses. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Trouble in your life at times feels like everything is spinning out of control. The things that you once thought were stable, foundational, feel unstable, feel shaky. And that's the language that we see here. Notice the chaos of nature. This is tsunamis. This is hurricanes. This is earthquakes. Now, I have never actually been in a hurricane. We, we moved from the D.C. area, and there are always threats of hurricanes, but what would end up happening is like a, a lawn chair would be blown over. Like that was the whole impact of the storm. But in 2011, uh, we, we did experience an earthquake in, in Arlington, Virginia, in the D.C. area. Um, and it wasn't significant, it was 5.8, not, not terrible. But I remember that day, I was in the second story of our house, I was in my office, it's working, and all of a sudden, my house shook. Houses don't normally shake, right? We generally consider our houses to be pretty stable places, but in that moment, my room started to shake. And it was disconcerting. I, I didn't know how to process through this. There was no warning. And so I did what any parent would do. I blamed my kids. I literally shouted out, kids! They did not produce the earthquake, right? But in my mind, somehow, it was their fault. Uh, but it, it was disconcerting. Because houses are not supposed to shake. Mountains are not supposed to melt. The earth is not supposed to give away, but isn't it true when our life gets turned upside down, we sure feel like that. Have you ever faced this? You get an unexpected call that a loved one has had a heart attack. You get called into your boss's office, find out you've lost your job. You find out that someone has been slandering you. You discover that, that you have a sickness. You, you feel like the world and the nation and the city are falling apart. I, I still remember to this day the shock of finding out one of our sons had leukemia. Life changed in that moment. 
And this is what trials can do. It is swirling, churning waves of trial and difficulty. Massive, stable objects in our life become unstable, become scary. It's in these very moments that God promises to be our refuge and strength. Though everything else may fail in your life, he remains. He's your strong tower. God is our refuge and strength. Now, if you notice in your Bible, there are three different times in this psalm where it says, Selah. You see that in your Bible? Selah. Now, I've studied this. Um, no one really knows what this means. So everybody's kind of guessing. But there is a general consensus that they, they think that this, this was in, an encouragement to the singers of these psalms to consider, to, to meditate, to pause. And so I want us just to pause here to consider what we just have looked at. God is our refuge and strength. And so here's how I want us to do this. I want you to think back to the last difficult situation you had in your life. Okay, it could be, could be massive. It could be a massive life-altering event. It could just be a difficult conversation. It could have happened yesterday. It could have happened last week. But think about the last difficult situation you had. The last time trouble found you. Got it? Got it in your mind? Now, I want you to think about where you turned for comfort. Where you turned for help. Now, to to help you do this, I, I want you to fill in this blank. Blank is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Where did you turn? Maybe it was a person. Maybe you, maybe you called somebody. Maybe you went to your bank app. Just to, just to reassure yourself that, that you still have money. Maybe you went to Netflix and just binge-watched a show to make you forget. Maybe you turned to pornography. Maybe you turned to food or shopping. Maybe you immediately started Googling for information. Maybe you immediately went to your problem-solving ability. I I can work this out. You see, to believe and experience that God is our fortress is to say no to a thousand other false safeties. 
Now, that's not to say that there aren't, isn't grace in the form of some of those things and in, in people who are there and information about a sickness. But it is to say that oftentimes when we experience trouble, what we functionally trust in is brought out. And we realize that the cardboard box shelters that we have erected in time of trouble don't hold. I get in my shelter and a hurricane comes and I realize, oh, this isn't actually safe and secure. But we thought it was. And that's where we can go to is false comforts. Sadly, I have seen in my life, oftentimes when I face trouble, I go to false comforts instead of to the Lord. Because I think that those are the things that I really can trust in. God wants to call us to a better foundation a better refuge himself. Second scene that we see in Psalm 46 is God's presence in his city. God's presence in his city. The scene shifts in verse four. Look at it with me. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most High. So we go from external forces of nature, chaotic, unruly, to a city that is being sieged. There are enemies surrounding it. Now, in this time, and even as we've seen in Gaza, when, when the water supply is cut off from a city, it's only a matter of time before that city has to surrender. The city must have water in order to Survive, and, and so the original singers of this were very aware of that reality. But the psalmist says, but, but there's a river whose stream continues into the city of God. In God's city, there's an endless supply. While, while chaos may reign outside the city, there's a river that continues to flow into it. A river somehow unaffected by the turmoil and the chaos around it. A river that provides provision and gladness for those in the city of God. There's no enemy that can stop it. There's no catastrophe that can divert it away. God provides for his people. Now, many of you know this provision of the Lord, the steady supply of grace in the midst of trial. During some of the darkest moments of the different trials we've walked through, I look back on it and I wonder, how did I get through that? How did our family make it through that? The first time our son Jack had leukemia, we had three small kids. We were living in my parents' basement we were in the hospital, in and out, regularly. I was going through seminary, and so I was existing on mm, three to five hours of sleep a night. Oh, and we also had just helped start a church, and we had moved to a different city. 
And I look back and I think, how the heck did we do that? But the answer is God's steady supply of the exact amount of provision we needed. His grace to us. And many of you know you've experienced that grace. Day by day, God gives new mercy, new grace for that day. Now, I want us to to make note of the fact that God does not promise immediate deliverance, which is what we want, right? Sometimes our, our trials are so great that we just think the only way God can provide for us is deliverance. Now, he may, and we should pray for that. But we also need to recognize that sometimes God's provision is in daily grace to sustain us, to remind us that we are safe and secure, that though the world and the forces around us fight against us, we are safe and secure. And here's why. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And what's fascinating about this is that word move, she shall not be moved in verse 5. It's the same Hebrew word as in verse 2 where it says, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. It's also the same word as verse six, where it says the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, they, they move. So what is, what is he saying? Well, though mountains may move and though kingdoms will move, the city of God will not move. It will remain steadfast. Why? Because God is with her. God is in the city. The presence of God is with his people. And that makes all the difference because that presence changes our perspective. And you see the shift in the psalmist's perspective. The psalmist then turns to look out at the troubling chaos around us and And they see things differently. Look at verse six. Oh, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, but when God utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, for the nation of Israel, what an incredible comfort this would bring them. They were surrounded by nations raging, nations conquering nations who conquered nations. But they were to be reminded there is one, their God, who holds power over everything in this world. There is nothing that will shake this city where God is because the Lord of hosts is with us. Now, I want you to take note of these two images. The Lord, if you notice in your Bible, it's all capitalized. This was the personal name of God given to Moses. 
as a way for him to not just see God as infinite and eternal, but God as a personal God. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. But he's also the Lord of hosts. Other translations say this is the God of angel armies. He is in command of the hosts of heaven at his disposal to conquer anything that might try to corrupt or destroy his city. That God is with us. He is our fortress. The city of God will not be moved. Selah. Now, as we pause here, I, I want to mention one application for us to, to consider, and that's related to the church. So I, I grew up in church. I've been a pastor for a long time, and, and I've seen the, the breathtaking beauty and wisdom and blessing of the church, the, the people of God called out from the world to, to do this and to scatter in community, to, to bless and encourage and strengthen one another. But friends, the church is also a messed up place. And, and there have been seasons in my life where I have been tempted to give in to unbelief because I know God's statement that God is going to move forward his mission through the local church. But then I look at local churches and I think, there's no way. There's no way this can happen. Because of all the stories of leaders failing and churches ending of people who seem to make it their mission to destroy the church, to religious institutions who can seem at times to protect themselves and their image versus compassion and truth. And, and I look at all these things and I think, how, how, does, how does this work? The church that's supposed to be the beacon of light for the world is the place where many non-Christians look at it and say, hypocrites. Well, Psalm 46 is helpful because what Psalm 46 reminds us is that, yeah, those things may happen, but God's city will prevail. That was Jesus' promise to Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church of Jesus Christ will endure. It will remain. God will complete his work. His plan, though we may think it may be a bad plan, is not a bad plan because God is powerful enough to accomplish his work. Now, that doesn't mean that leaders won't fail. That doesn't mean that the church won't fail, but God is powerful enough to work despite the failings of men and women. Can I get an amen? That's good news for us, right? That is good news for our church. That is good news for the global church. God will accomplish 
his purposes. God's church will continue to be built. So don't give in to fear when it comes to the church. When you hear another story of a leader or a church failing, don't be dismayed. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's with us. He's building his church. Third point. God's purpose in the earth. God's purpose in the earth. In Psalm 8, or sorry, in verse 8, the psalmist invites us to consider what the Lord has done so it might bring peace to us in the future. Look at verse 8. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, for the original singers of this song, their minds would immediately have drifted to the stories they've heard. The great rescue from slavery in Egypt, the seawaters parting to let them pass by and escape, the roar of the waters as they crashed in on top of the Egyptians, breaking bows and shattering spears, the time where God saved them from their enemies by fighting for them, bringing wars to cease. The psalmist calls his singers to recount, not the casual presence of God to comfort his people, but the mighty power of God to bring about his way. Friends, nothing can stand against God's purposes in this world. So when's the last time you considered the works of the Lord? Scripture is full of stories of God's powerful work to accomplish his plan. History is full of God's work. See how the mighty kingdoms and civilizations of this world have crumbled. See how the greatest kings and rulers of the world have been humbled. Your life is full of the mighty works of God. Have you seen him? Do you know them? Behold your God who is powerful to accomplish his plan. In verse 10, God speaks. He speaks to us. Now first... He speaks to the nations. He speaks to the chaotic world of warring nations and leaders, evildoers and powers. Now, this is not a declaration from a pompous, overly confident man in the world. No, this, this is the voice of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says to the nations, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Lest the nations begin to believe that they will survive and conquer. Lest movements and rulers and politicians and political parties think that they control the destiny. No, God says, no, I am God. I am the Lord. And this is not just a passive request to the nations. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe you should consider like, 
I created the world. I'll get things done. No, friends, this, this is an emphatic declaration from the king of the universe. Be still. Be still. And friends, we get to sing of that truth together. But in order for us to sing this truth and to believe this, we have to actually believe it ourselves in our own lives. And so this morning, hear God's command to you to be still. To be still. To stop running around like a soldier without a commander. To stop giving in to unbelief. To stop fretting about whether things will work out in your life. To stop fearing that something or someone can take you from God's hand. To stop trying to play God and controlling your future or demanding that your life be in a certain way. Be still. And know that I am God. I am the one who rules this universe and there is nothing that can rival me. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I have covenanted with my people and I will never break my promises. Be still and know I will be your protection and I will never leave you or forsake you. Be still and know that I am working out my plan. Be still and know that I love you and that I am near to you. Be still. And this is not a call to passively wait on the Lord to work, but it is a call to rest in God's sovereign work in this world. So friends, where are you tempted to not be still? Let's think about the world around us. It's a lot of chaos. How are you dealing with the wars in Israel and Gaza, Ukraine and Russia? How do you interact with the political issues in our nation? How steady is your heart when you hear of a new world crisis? God reminds us this morning that there is only one end to the world. God will be exalted. That's it. That's where everything is moving towards. And so Christians can trust and believe and be still. Now, before we end, I want us to, to answer one, one glaring question that, that you might have formed in your mind as you're listening to this, and, it, and it's this. But how do we know? How do we know that these things are true? Because you may be thinking, but I feel like God has failed me. I, I feel like God has left me alone. I, I feel like God is 
punishing me or has forgotten me. I I feel like I've sinned too much. Surely God can't be my refuge. Welcome to the season of Advent. Because in Advent, we enter into the story of the Israelites who were asking that same question. Has God forgotten us? How can we truly be God's people when we keep rebelling and sinning? Have we gone too far? Will God ever be faithful and answer his promises? We've failed him so many times. And they waited and they wondered. And then Jesus came. And his birth delivers an earth-shaking, evil-quaking, long-awaited answer. God is with us. He came. He came to forever defeat all the forces of evil in this world. He came in order to accomplish a mission that you and I could never accomplish. Without God, the world is hopeless. It is chaotic. It is scary. It is unruly. There are rival kingdoms and nations and powers and authorities, and we should be scared. But Jesus came. Jesus came as our mighty God. Jesus came as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus came as our perfect Messiah to take our place, to bear the punishment that we deserved. The thing that created separation from God that we could never reconcile. Jesus came and stood in our place. Why? So that we could know that God is our refuge and our strength. Friends, we can believe that God is faithful to his promises because we get to consider and celebrate that Jesus has come to this world and that he will return and make all things right. Now, I don't know what lies between now and that day. I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what my family's future holds. I don't know what your future holds. I don't know what this city's future holds. But we do know who holds the future. And we do know the end result. God's plan will be accomplished. And in God's plan and story is our story. And so your trouble, all of the loss, all of the pain, all of the suffering is not worthless. God is accomplishing his purposes in this world. And he will strengthen you. And he will help you to hold on. And he will help you to persevere.
because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. God, these are glorious truths. Help us to believe them. Where there's weak faith this morning, I pray that you would bring strength. Where there is hardness of heart and rebellion, I pray that you would bring conviction and repentance. Thank you that you are our refuge and our strength. In Jesus' name.